You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, we are live, everybody. Welcome, We Are Libertarians. You got a main episode here. You got no Chris Spangle because Chris is busy doing everything under the sun. Uh, huge news on that. We'll talk about that in a second after we make some introductions here. I am Hody Johns, and uh, I am co-hosting today with everybody's favorite, Reinhold. Reinhold, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Uh, been an interesting couple of weeks. Yeah. So yeah, it has. A uh, lot to get into. Yeah, interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I think for you and me, thankfully, we're not a part of getting shot while we're running around and also not a part of the LNC, which are the two big uh, items on the docket today. So it's one of those things to watch from afar uh, is a lot better than to be involved in. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's get started here. The, the shooting of Ahmad Arbery, guys, really sad. Uh, obviously, if you don't live in a cave, you've probably seen enough about it. Uh, this is something that actually wasn't a big deal at all. And then it was just a case where it's like some guy got shot and apparently he robbed the place and they're not going to press charges against the guy who shot him because everything is sketchy. And then a video gets released, leaked by the, I guess, would be defendants friends because people were still like, I don't know, something still seems fishy. And everybody's like, well, now it seems even more fishy. And then we found out some things about the prosecutor and the prosecutor uh, blatantly lied about the evidence in the case and uh, all, all kinds of other stuff. So let's start with that. Um, Maud Arbery, jogger, uh, a, a few different points of this. I, I find that this is the reason this is getting so much traction because there's some that are very blatant. We had the shooting of a girl who get uh, what it was a no knock warrant that they raided the wrong house. The guy they yeah, was, was in custody. It was like one or two in the morning, and they uh, they no knock raided the house. They said that they announced, but none of the neighbors said that they did. All they heard was pounding and shooting, so they didn't hear anybody say that they were the police. So it was a, a basically no knock raid. The um, the man who was living there grabbed a gun to defend himself because he thought somebody was breaking into the house, and they shot him. And she, I guess, he, she was an EMT, so she had off shift trying to get some sleep when it happened. So. Yeah. And I don't want these victims to be, be nameless here. The victim in this case is Brianna Taylor and uh, uh, she was black. And so this is, this is kind of part of it. We've just had three, I think three major incidents this week. There was the video. Now I don't believe they've released this guy's name, but who just got punched in the back of the head while he's getting arrested. Oh, I saw uh, that one. Yeah. He was just he was yeah. getting arrested. And, they, and the guy just kept hitting him. He's got like he got punched in the back of the head. He just got behind pummeled. his back against the wall, yeah. and the guy is just sucker punching him and not even going down. That's one if you just want to make fun of a guy for being really weak and trying to take it out on somebody else. This is when you would do it. That officer had already had a history of shooting unarmed suspects slash getting too rough with people, and now we have a video. So that so what you're yeah. going to hear in that one, okay, is that. The, the the officer had told him to get on the ground and he was not doing it. He was not complying. Therefore, they were trying to make him comply and get on the ground. The thing is, you can, I, he you can hear him in the video. Yeah. A and I think... I'm just telling you what the defense is. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, there's an excuse for so much of this stuff. And at some point, you just need to stop and say, if you have to keep making excuses... like, it, it, uh, Here's a great example. I'm a 
you know, I, I, restaurant management has kind of been my life for a long time. If I have a, an employee who five times a year takes sick days, that's not a big deal. That's I'm glad they stay home when they're sick. If I have them 28 times in a year take sick days, that's a system, right? They have a system of missing, missing things. So the issue is if we have one or two incidents ever, you know, and you just kind of say, that's the hiccup. When we have three incidents in a single week of kind of everything coming to the surface and being like, yeah, this is kind of going on every single week that you look for it. You're going to find stuff like this. That's a system. And that's the problem that we have is we don't, when you make a lot of excuses to be, to explain away this behavior, you're explaining away a system as opposed to saying, maybe there are a couple singular incidents where there's a mistake, right? Like I kind of understand if you point a realistic BB gun at an officer you know, I, obviously I, I don't believe in shoot first, ask questions later, but it, like there's some times when I say, oh, okay, he actually did fear for his life. But when a cop's like what, shooting a groundhog crossing the street slash shooting a chihuahua in the face, yeah, you know, a, there was a case in Indianapolis about the same time the Arbery stuff hit mm-hmm. where a guy um, led police on a high speed chase. He had warrants for a lot of things. There was rumors that he had a gun on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the chase ended, he gets out and it, I don't know if he had the gun or if he pointed it or if they thought he was doing it. So there's a lot more there involved in the situation where you can kind of go, yeah, I mean, they, you know, that's, that's different. That's fearing for your life. That's not knowing the whole situation and the person acting in a way that's really um, a concern, but that's not, that's not chasing somebody down as a citizen and putting a gun in their face. Right. And then getting, and if they try to take it from you, then you shoot them, you know I mean? Yeah. We're bouncing off of a lot of different stories and I feel I, I, I'm kind of going through some ADHD right now. I guess if you want to talk about everything at the same time, but the, it, that's kind of the context within this Ahmed Arbery thing is that we're looking at a lot of incidents where this is all popping up and then we have this and then we have a lot of people making excuses for it. So just to start with the details of the case, because I, I've kind of been looking more at the detail side and, and Reinhold's kind of been dealing with the argumentative debate side. I guess I'll start with, with just some of the details. The prosecutor Barnhill, when I say he lied, it, they're very blatant lies. And this is regardless of how you want to defend it. He lied about the case. So what he said is there's a 911 call that, and, and that existed, but talks about him burglarizing a place. That part did not exist. Then he said, there's another video around that shows him robbing a place and there is a video around, but it doesn't show him robbing a place. So that this is all part of the issue, right? Is that the, the prosecutor actually made excuses for why the shooting took place. So even before the shooting take places, takes place, Arbery, um, he's jogging. Uh, he goes into a house that is apparently under construction. Um, this was actually just released today that they, um, because they said, oh, you know, why, why is he going to a place that's under construction? Well, I guess their um, water fountain or water device was enabled. So he grabbed a drink. And I guess that's what the video shows is him going to grab a drink and then continuing jogging. So what happens when that happens? Well, he gets recorded. Somebody calls 911 and says, there's, I think word for word, there's a black man jogging in my neighborhood. And decides to call 911 to report it. And of course, the 911 dispatcher, I say, of course, they aren't always positive. But in this case, it was someone with common sense who says, well, did they 
do anything? No, but he's not supposed to be here. Well, it's it's a neighborhood street, but <laughs> you kind of got to let joggers happen at some point. Uh, so this, and black people happen. And That's black it. people happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and this is the part where we're going to get into. And this is the I, I'm, I'm trying to introduce it as nicely as I can. But then you get these two guys, and the video shows them, I guess, pulled up on a street. Arbery is it's taken from a dash cam footage of somebody who's behind this thing. And so it's unfortunately not the best footage, but it's it's clear enough that these guys, I guess, have pulled up and they're like, hey, stop. We want to ask you some questions. One of them is in the car with a uh, handgun and the guy who jumps out of the car has a shotgun and he points it at Arbery and says, you know, stop, you know, hey, you, sir, stop. Arbery, having a gun aimed at him, throws a punch and attempts to grab the shotgun away. And the guy with the handgun ends up shooting. There's a part where it goes out of the frame for like a millisecond, but you can, it's not like one of those, like, you have to assume a lot of conspiracy things happen in that millisecond when it cuts out. Ultimately, what happens is, yeah, Arbery took some swings at him, grabbed him, swings away, and he gets shot twice after the release. Three times. Three times? Three times he, after the release. One time the wrist was crazy, I think. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, falls down and he's and he dies. And uh, the prosecutor, of course, made a bunch of excuses for why this had to happen. It, there was a lot of talk of citizen's arrests. One of these guys was an ex-police officer. Uh, and then, of course, you got the media, which... Uh, and, and this is always the unbelievable part to me. And, and before I turn, turn it away to you for the discussion, Reinhold is they immediately go to smearing the guy's reputation. I guess he had gotten arrested for shoplifting five years ago. Okay. So what does that mean in the context of this case? Even if he had robbed the place five seconds ago, does he deserve to die? So when you say, Oh, he was shoplifting five years. Well, is he guilty for life? I mean, there's a lot of people in America who have mug shots that don't need that black, that black mark for life. And obviously that pertained in no way to him jogging, getting a drink from a house under construction and running down the street. The other issue, of course, is that it was, oh, must have been self-defense. This is the most mind-numbing one that I've heard so far, but that it wasn't self-defense because he initiated contact. Okay. When someone is aiming a loaded gun at you or jumps out of a car, aims a gun at you, you are exercising your self-defense if you try to wrestle the gun away from them or punch them. We can always talk about good ideas, bad ideas. I remember this back to Rodney King, and you almost want to scream at him while he say, like, stay down, don't get up. But at the same time, he's not hurting anybody. He should be let go. I just say that I don't want somebody fighting for a gun not because they don't have a right to. I just fear for their lives. In this case, rightfully so, because these guys killed him. Right. They wanted to ask him a few questions and they killed him. He had nothing on him, no, nothing stolen on him. So that kind of blow, blows the process. I mean, what he looted a house and then what did he stash it someplace? I mean, the, this guy Barnhill was the prosecutor and just did an absolutely terrible job in trying to cover for these guys. He has recused himself and he is under federal investigation that he may get disbarred. I hope he does. I mean, it's just when you are a prosecutor, your job is to prosecute everything that you can. Maybe you lose, 
but you are at least supposed to prosecute everything you can unless it's very blatant that it's a waste of time. If anything, this is like the definition of something that was either straight up murder or very close to it, much closer to the murder side. So you absolutely have a case to investigate it. So of course this stirs up a whole bunch of people. And unfortunately, I believe Chris said we even had a record record number of comments about this on our page from people that said Ahmaud Arbery deserves to die. And that's where I'll let you take it away, Reinhold. <laughs> okay. Drop that in my lap. Yeah. So first of all, when you said that the prosecutor is supposed to prosecute um, everything they can, I'm just, you might want to tell William Barr that. But the... Um, <laughs> Touche. Touche. <laughs> so the issue here is that nobody deserves to die for something that isn't, you know, he was put in that situation. He was not, he was not the instigator. I don't know why these people think that he's the instigator just because he didn't uh, act his place. You know, you put a gun to somebody's head and tell them to, to hold, to stay still. And you're not a policeman who is authorized to do that. Um, they have no idea. Just like the, the person who was defending his home when the no knock raid happened. They, what did the, how are they supposed to know they're defending their home? He was defending himself. If it had been two black guys and a white woman and she had tried to get away from them and grab the gun as best she could, because that's what they're told to do, um, would they feel the same way? You know, I, I just it, so. So here's the thing. So there, there's a couple different things going on here. First of all, there's the racial component. So everybody's complaining because this is being made into a racial issue. And I'm like. Okay, well, first of all, it is kind of a racial issue. The fact that the, the, the people called 911. Now, we don't know who called 911, I don't believe. We don't know if it might have been this guy's who called 911, right? I mean, I would I would kind of think it might be. So if they're calling 911 saying this guy's suspicious because he's a black guy in our neighborhood, yeah, it's going to be a racial component to it. You're looking at him differently where he's at, and, and you would treat him differently because of the color of his skin. But the um if you take that out of it if if he had been white you still had a corrupt prosecutor covering for a former associate when the police wanted to arrest him and the the he said no he told him no that they couldn't arrest him that's the corrupt action right there we're, at, we're we've got uh a dearth of corrupt prosecution going on, corrupt prosecutors going on in this country, apparently. It's uh, from the top uh, all the way down. So uh, the least you could do is be upset about that, right? Yeah. Let, let's, just, let's just say, okay, we'll, we'll give you a pass and say that you're, you don't think that this is racially motivated, that this is just a situation. That situation is still bad. That situation still sucks, whether it's a, a white guy or a black guy, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to start looking at it in context of why were they stopping him because he was in their neighborhood or because he was in their neighborhood while being black. And I'm sorry, I, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that they were stopping him just because he was in their neighborhood and just because they thought he was stealing something when there was no evidence or any indication that they had. And that's the problem with their defense of using the um, citizen's arrest is that they have to see an active crime that crime has to be a felony right and there has to be some sort of 
dangerous intent or something for the person that they can't just uh, report it and let the police go find the guy. Right. So right. walking through a construction site, I'm sorry, is not going to qualify for citizens arrest. Right. And I mean, even the advice from the dispatcher, I, I guess follow them. We'll have somebody get there, you know, but you d- you don't have to don't confront them. I mean, this is the advice you get. I mean, this is preschool level advice. Don't confront them. Don't initiate force. Let them go. If they are running away, that means the, the situation's getting de-escalated. We can get them later. This is why a lot of people don't do hot pursuits in counties anymore because they just say, we'll catch them later. There's no sense in riling up now. That results in death and danger for everybody involved, not just the victim or not just, I guess, the potential criminal, you know? And so you let them go, you know, so that you can get them later. There's another case going on in in Georgia right now um, that's in the court system where a woman saw uh, an accident and she saw somebody leave the site of the accident. Now, the the person who left the site of the accident was a black man, and apparently he was trying to get himself to the hospital because he was having a diabetic episode, right? And that might have been why the crash happened, but he was trying to get to help, and he was probably not completely there. She chased him down stopped you know made him stop the car got out and ended up shooting and killing him right citizens arrest right okay. so she's on trial for i i don't remember if it's manslaughter or murder um it, it, I, I don't remember the charge but I, she's she's everybody's trying to use that as kind of an example of uh georgia law is very clear that you can't use deadly force on something that's not you know right that high of a crime yeah. And I, I, guys who are commenting right now, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, thankfully, this is kind of restoring a lot of my belief in what I know that we stand for, because I know we just had a lot of people mention the kind of Confederate sympathizers. Ryan called them out on it and it, they kind of outed themselves. But yeah, Rob, JD, Jonathan, uh, all you guys commenting right now. Yeah, I, I'm glad you agree. I mean, I just feel the same way. It's just one of those that you say, even if you take ra- race out of it, it's awful. Yeah. You put race into it. And the thing is, this isn't me putting race into it. The caller said it's a black man running in my neighborhood. These, I mean, th- this is just what it is. You get more suspicious of it. I want to be sympathetic. I wrote an article about this because I I come from an environment where systemic racism isn't as systemic, I guess I should say. If you have a Confederate flag, like bumper sticker or something, your car is going to get keyed. I had a patron at a restaurant say something casually racist to some guests and he got stabbed in the parking lot, right? Like this is a, I am not in a situation where we almost have the opposite problem. I don't want to say too much because obviously there's still a lot of catching up to to do, but what I see is almost too much dismissal of white people because of their opinion. I'm not trying to dismantle that opinion or your experience. All people's experiences are valid, but this includes the experience of Ahmaud Arbery. Bottom line is, even if this is your experience, take the circumstances of this case and ask yourself if that would happen in your area. And I would think, no, would you get I mean, at least for me in the area that I live in. Now, I have a friend in North Carolina where he's like, yeah, that's kind of run of the mill here. You know, and I'm just like, I I don't want to say all of North North Carolina the same way. This is something that is very localized. But in his case, he was like, if you if somebody yells the N word, nobody bats an eye. 
if you get in somebody's face for yelling the n-word everybody looks at you like eh, like you know and so this is this is what systemic racism looks like if it was just one individual case of racism i i get it you can't root out all racism but if it was one individual case that, that it'd be one thing but this is this is multifaceted sorry you're about to say something no, I was just going to point out that my experience growing up was a little bit different than yours in my area. I've actually seen a cross burning. Wow. So, I mean, it, just, <laughs> it puts it in perspective. You know, yeah. I just, I, so I lived in, a, I lived in an area where, okay. So uh, the, one of the larger cities as it were in the County I live in, we live out in the country. So there's not a lot of stuff going on and yeah. we all keep to ourselves and we're pretty cool, but there's a certain city that we were near where it was a known rule that you are not to be in town after dark if you were black or you would have it taken out on you so and this is in the 80s and 90s right so yeah we think we've come a long way on this race thing but there's still pockets and areas and people who i i think at this point if somebody's racist it's mostly because they don't like themselves so looking at hating other people more so they can find some sort of good in them right so you're different than me therefore you're bad and it's uh, it's not much different than some of the bully behavior that we have when we grow up that people try to find something that's different with somebody else in order to feel better than them yeah um but i think with society's come a long way but then I also think society is starting to backslide back to the way it was because we're starting to try to um, apologize for those people and those views. Right. Um, and it's, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's the best way to go. And, and there's, a, there's, there's a conflict where you say, I want these people to be out in public. And so I know who they are so I can avoid them and not do business with them and not participate in society with them. But then the other part is, is that maybe it's better when we were making it such a stigma to do that those people weren't passing on their views to people who are susceptible to that, that aren't actually there yet, but they've had some bad experiences and now they're starting to question things and then somebody gets in their ear and starts saying, oh, look at those people, it's them. Um, that can start to stick. And, and, and so we have, we have both sides of that. Right. It's a tough thing to come down on too. It is. It is. And uh, like, here's the thing. I, I fight for people's free speech, right. At yeah. all times, Agreed. even if it's yeah. dumb speech, I have lent this platform, the weirdly amidst a lot of controversy and discussion between all of us wall contributors to some people we don't like, because I would rather them say their stupid views or in this case, uh, boring views. I think if we're, <laughs> if we're thinking about the same boring point. and dangerous and same boring way. and dangerous views. Yeah. And, and let them get smacked down because they're boring and dangerous and it's obvious. And I'd rather I kill it with sunlight, I guess, so to speak, mm-hmm. but there is something to be said. It is our platform and it's absolutely my right as well to exercise my freedom of speech and association and say, no, you're not going to talk on this platform. But also you, know? you have, at, you have, um, Vorha, who whose main idea is, is that he's going to say certain things that are very um, controversial because he knows it's going to get people to listen. And if he can get 2% of the people listening to agree with him, it's worth irritating or pissing off the other 98% who are never going to agree with him anyway. That's his kind of mindset. So by doing that, he's getting... I mean, I've seen people sharing the Stephen... Stefan Molyneux's video three or four times now 
and it's it's so bad um and he's such a horrible person and people are uh, not unironically sharing this and saying this is the reality of the situation and i'm like no <laughs> it's not and that information just starts getting spread around and and people see it and they just go well i, I thought this was true and then you have to fight and counter it now for free speech, I'm all for it. Let's let him ha- let him say what he wants to say, but I don't have to do business with him. I don't have to have him on the same platform I'm on. If the owners of that platform don't want him on there, you know, it's how how do you judge that or how do you balance that? And that's that's the where it comes down to. As libertarians, we have to allow for free speech, but we also have to allow for us to be able to shame those people for that speech, um, just so that everybody knows what the rules of society are that we're agreeing to. And there's a time to pick and choose your battles as well. You know, I, and let me let me point out one of my favorite examples. Martin Luther King had the Rosa Parks demonstration planned way before Rosa Parks, right? Before yeah. that happened. This is something that I didn't know until I read a, uh, some letters that he had written and was talking mm-hmm. about it. They had two major incidents actually before Rosa Parks that Martin Luther King Jr. chose not to act on. Um, one of them was, um, I remember one, I forget the other, and so I won't even guess, but then the other one was an unwed <coughs> mother, right? And he said, look, here's the thing. I get that I I want... I feel for this person. She shouldn't be kicked off the bus just because she's an unwed mother, but I want the Christians to be a huge part of this rally. And so right now I'm just going to wait for the perfect moment to yeah. make my stand. And that was Rosa Parks. She was an elderly woman. She was somebody, everybody had a little compassion for. And ultimately he said, yeah, this is when it's going to be. And that was successful versus fighting every single battle, even if the battle is right, right? Like I might believe in free speech at all times, but I'm not going to exactly throw a big tantrum when Molyneux gets banned. I mean, I just, he he's an a-hole. He's a wrong a-hole. He's a dangerous a-hole and he's mean to people that I like. And so I'll let him fight that fight. I am going to fight the free speech battle in in a battle that makes it so I can win, right? I my job my desire is to win, right? A world set free in my lifetime. That's what I want to see. If I keep fighting battles that create division, then I lose. And so now, thankfully, we're way past those Martin Luther King Jr. times. You hear unwed teenage mother and a bunch of people don't know if you're talking about uh, black people or white people anymore because we're all going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's something that, that we, we now have more unity over that, but we still have these divisions. We want to pick and choose, you know, I, I know it's, tough you have, well, then you have, still have welfare Queens and then yeah. you have, you know, the immigrants, those people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that I mean, stuff still sticks around that, that mindset just pervades for some reason through a certain group of people that, I don't know how you ever get rid of it. It's hard, you know, I, and this is something that you actually enlightened me on. And I did not know this, this part of the kind of libertarian party history. And I do want to talk about it a little more directly. I think we always refer to like Lou Rock- Rockwell. Ah, we hate him. Good, good economist, but we hate him. And I think a lot of people like me are like, wait, why? Like, I, I don't know what he did. Like, why? And I guess a, a big part of the libertarian party history was you had a lot of disenfranchised Republicans. And why were they disenfranchised? Now, I love to prey on disenfranchised Republican. I am an ex-Tea Party Republican who found my way to libertarianism, right? So for me, I hear that and I'm like, so what? Yes, let's appeal to the Republicans. Let's appeal to the anti-war Democrats. Let's do it. Here's the problem. It's the reason that you appeal to them. Now, the reason I had issues with 
the Republican Party is because they weren't inclusive enough. They kept growing the government. They kept spending more. I wanted to spend less. I wanted to hit budgets. I wanted to include everybody. I wanted to be tolerant. I wanted all these great things. The reason he, the, these Republicans were disenfranchised is because the Republican Party had, I think, twice in a row caved on um, amnesty, letting people who were here keep their immigration. And the some prominent libertarians, including Lou Rockwell, I guess, made the pitch that we should take these disenfranchised Republicans that are mad that the GOP let the immigrants stay and make them libertarians. That's that is a tough thing, right? Because here's the it, it thing. was it was something that Murray Rothbard called fusionism, right? And he had right. he had written a whole bunch of series of articles. So there was a, a a newsletter called the the Rothbard Rockwell Report, and it was Lou Rockwell and Murray Rothbard, and they would write articles in this. And one of the the ideas he hit upon was we should uh, get with these disenfranchised Republicans the old right as it was known because the neo conservatives were coming in and they were taking over and they were turning the the conservative party into a liberal party as they were looking at globalism right so these were people who were disenfranchised from that but they did that with dog whistling with saying if you've heard about the the newsletters from ron paul ron paul was also in this group uh lou rockwell was writing for ron paul um, Ron Paul and Murray Rothbard and Lou Rockwell were trying to get Pat Buchanan elected in 92. Right. And Pat Buchanan is not the libertarian superstar, right? Yeah. He's, he's a, uh, he's not a, a good friend of mine. Let's put it that way. I don't really <laughs> believe with a lot of what he says. So they were, they were trying to push that. And, and that was why. So Ron Paul was ran in 88 as a, as a libertarian. And then he was going to run in '92 until they decided to go with the with the uh, uh, Pat Buchanan, and then he jumped, he stepped out of the race and backed Pat Buchanan. So these these are people who were trying to um, not because they were necessarily racist, but because they knew they could appeal to those people who were disenfranchised, get them into the party, and use them. Was the thought process? Now, here's the thing, guys. I don't want this to... Every time we you talk about Ron Paul or kind of Lou Rockwell or Murray Rothbard in any kind of negative light, people think this is like us dumping on them. I think all three have made huge contributions, including Lou Rockwell, to the movement. I think if you take the economic side of Lou Rockwell, I think he has some good things to say. But it, it, it it's like reading Hop you can take like 90% of it and say it's great. And then when you talk about kicking gays and blacks out of your community, it's kind of like a hair in the salad, right? I mean, you're just like the, most of it can be good, but if you're wrapping it up in this, like that's just kind of a, so, I don't want to do that. So, so Murray Rothbard was originally a leftist a bit. He, he was courting the left, right? He was, he was trying to court disenfranchised liberals back in the 60s and mm. 70s, right? So that, that was his kind of thing. Um, he was always looking for ways to make an impact and try to get libertarianism out there. He's, and he, um, I think it was stated by, um, by somebody who knows him, who got on the bad side of him at one point, was that he was a great friend and a horrible enemy. You did not win him on your bad side. So he 
would create, you know, friendships and, and um, acquaintances and set up these deals. And then he would turn and, and somebody would irritate him and it would change the whole thing. And then he would be the worst enemy of those people. So that's where a lot of this fumbled into the 83 split which I don't know how we're getting from Arbery to this conversation, <laughs> but uh, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, and that really caused a problem in the Libertarian Party where half of the party just got up and left, right? And it's almost like every so often we have to go through that. And I think we're going through that again this year Yeah, uh, with some things that are going on that I we can get into in a few minutes. But yeah. um, so... The, the, the thing about him and the thing about Ron Paul was that they had their in areas of uh, concern, which is mainly economics. They were concerned about e- economic space things and what can we do for individual rights and blah, 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 blah. Right. But when it came to other topics, they really didn't care. So they would surround themselves with people who aligned with them on those things and kind of didn't really care too much about those other things like the social problems and the immigration and, and, and other topics that they kind of figured down whatever uh, on. So they weren't that, that in interested in. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that manipulation of the whole movement came from. Um, that caused a huge split and we're still fighting to this day. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the direction I was going and I, I do think it's important to talk about the history so we understand why why are so many like ex Confederate sympathizers kind of in, hanging on to the Liberty Movement, you know? Because th- there are a few what I'll call like Soviet sympathizers, but they are not prevalent, right? Because there was not really a mainstream attempt to get them on board, right? So this is why it's a little bit less of a problem that. You know, this is this racism problem is more of a problem for us than Soviet sympathizing, for example. So it's kind of why it's worth talking about. So I'm glad you went into the history. My thing is, look, I love Ron Paul. I have read Man, Economy and State. It is a great book. It is one of those. If you need to understand economics better, great. Get on to it. But like Reinhold said, that's not all of libertarianism is economics. It's an important part, but it is not the only part. And so when you are okay to put some things aside, for example, kicking people out of the country because they weren't born born on your magic dirt or, right, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, stoning gay people. And you're like, yeah, I can kind of see that. That's a strictly unlibertarian thing to believe. Right. So I can take your good and leave your bad if you're really good at it. But you should understand why some people don't have the reverence for Rothbard or Rockwell or Ron Paul that you might, because these certain things might have affected you more than others. It's not to make them bad people. I'm sure. And, and this isn't a purity test. I have had well, I've had impure libertarian thoughts. I'm sure. I mean, everybody's the only the only real libertarian, according to themselves anyway. Right. right. I mean, you've, you've got the same thing with Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand was a was by all accounts, a, a terrible person. Um, Robert, uh, Robert Heinlein, who is one of my favorite authors and I think a big leader in libertarian thought and writing, um, there's accusations that he was a pedophile. Well, whether I don't know if there's true or not. I don't think they are, but there's an accusation. So whenever you bring them up, there's people who kind of throw that at you too. So everybody has flaws and everybody's, nobody's perfect. That's the irritating. The thing that irritates me is when people go, you can't 
question Ron Paul or you can't question Murray Rothbard or Luke Rockwell because they've done so much for, for libertarianism. And I'm like, I, I'm not saying that they haven't, but I'm also saying that they're human beings right. and I can disagree with them. It would be okay. one thing. It would be one thing if we're having an economic discussion, and you're mm-hmm. saying, "Here's my pro," and then you're interjecting the yeah. the the immigrant thing in the right. middle of it. But oftentimes, this comes up because they talk. We're talking about immigration, and then Rockwell comes up, and then it's like, "Okay, well, now is an important time for me to say this is the part where I disagree with." Now, right. if I spend 90% of my time talking about economics and ignoring immigration, then I am going to think Lou Rockwell is some kind of saint. I mean, this is just, it, it's a matter of how much, the dog that you feed is the one that grows, right? That, that's the, the saying that, and, and this is what happens like Ben Shapiro, right? Has a lot of libertarian leanings, a lot of them, but he spends, somebody did the math for me, 25% of his time talking about why it's important to call a trans person by their original pronoun on the, on the paper. Right. When you spend 25% of your time talking about why you should be flatly wrong about a trans issue, then then you're going to have a problem with being a bigot. Right. And people could say, but he's libertarian and all these other things. But he spends 90% of his time talking about this. Right. And so and, and that's the thing. He doesn't talk as much about the things that he might actually be a lot more libertarian on in the good things. Right. And so we don't get enough of his good. So, and and so a lot of that comes to when we talk about this Arbery shooting, if you spend most of your time defending Confederates, defending shootings of unarmed black people, defending that, then you are going to come off as a bigot. Because you spent all your time doing it. Yeah, you might be a libertarian and all these other things, but if you spend a certain amount of time saying there's no such thing as systemic racism, and I and that's my whole philosophy, right? I'm just going to go on and on and on about how there's no such thing as systemic racism. Okay, but you're going to suffer a problem with being a bigot. Well, there's 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 a lot of problems with definitions and what people are saying when they say things and what they mean. And when people hear systemic racism, they're like, well, I'm not a racist. I don't see the system as racist. It hasn't affected me negatively in any way. So I don't understand what you're talking about. We should be treating everybody as individuals, as, mm-hmm. as equals, and move on. Why are we talking about this? If we just quit talking about it. It'd go away. And it's not how it works. Um, I am one of the most staunchest individualists that exists. But. I also don't ignore the fact that there are people who are not individualists who will change, treat people differently because of those things that I personally don't care about. I think it matter in any way, but I recognize that these other people do feel that way. And just like the drug war was founded on the idea of keeping down black people and hippies. Those are the words from Nixon, as we found out, a few years back uh, that that was why they came up with this idea of making marijuana illegal, not because it was hurting anybody, right? but because they wanted an excuse to go in and target those groups and keep them quiet because they were getting too uppity. Right. And then you have the, and again, this is something you kind of can't separate race from. You have the CIA who finds these shipments of cocaine Let's the shipment of cocaine go through. Now they could stop it right there, right? Oh, shipment of cocaine. Let's shut it down and bust all these 
you know, important people that are selling it. Instead, what do they do? They wait for it to go through. They wait for it to get dispersed. And then they crack down on the people it got dispersed to. Right. right. So it's not just like the drug war is racist. Right. We know that you, you, oh, and, and, but it's not just that. So here's the other problem too. So yeah. part of the, what the drug war did was they, they decided they were going to crack down on drugs and we're going to target the, the hippies and the, and the black people. Right. Yeah. So they go to the inner cities and they start arresting people there. So now they're putting these people in jail and their families are growing up without dads, that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they've created an, uh, a statistical anomaly. Now we have a high, this high number of black people who are committing these crimes. Oh, look, the black people are more criminal than the white people. When it's not the case, when you look at the actual information, it's not the case, but they're more likely to get arrested and put in jail than a white person will be. So it creates a false statistic that people start to, uh, reinforce and by doing so then they go okay we need to go look out for when when the police then go out and say we're looking for the crime they're going to go look there because that's where most of the crime is because they're perpetuating that myth that um, and, then, and then they're basically creating that myth because they're putting so many people in that community in jail that the kids are getting, are getting raised by gangs mm-hmm. instead of individual fathers and learning good morals it's destroying that whole fabric which makes the problems worse which reinforces the numbers which gives the excuse to go continue doing it it's just an interrending cycle that we need to break and nobody wants to identify that that is a cycle because they want to say we should just be individualists and we should just treat everybody equal we should do that but we're not that's the problem right and this is to put it in perspective, like let's say you actually think that drugs are a problem, right? And that you think we should crack down them. And indeed, I don't do any drugs myself because I think the biggest punishment for doing drugs is having done drugs and dealing with those effects. I don't know anybody who does who's on like superpowers while they're on LSD. I've seen some people think they are, but uh, it doesn't exactly work out that way when they jump off the roof. But here's the thing. What's more, what's the most likely, you might even know off the top of your head, Reinhold, what, what's the most likely thing to kill you in the United States? Most thing you're most likely to die from just by being existent here in the United States. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, well, cancer. Number one and two aren't very close or are close. The third one's way, way down. Cancer is number two. Heart yeah. disease is number right. one. Okay. Right. Now look, heart disease is because you ate too many burgers, fat, didn't drink, exercise enough, sugary yeah. stuff, not enough exercise, Dr- drugs, guys, I'm looking at like the top 10 list, not even there. All right. So, mm-hmm. so as far as things that are like, if you actually care about people and you say, well, we do the drug war because I care about them. Well, then you should ban burgers. Yeah. Was McDonald's allowed to function, right? Right. They're killing people. Right. You should. Absolutely. Why is tobacco legal when cancer's got you at five, you well, know, you know, that getting close on that one. That's going to uh, happen. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. Right. But I'm saying like, this is what you should care of above like meth. Right, because the one is more likely to kill you than the other. Well, right? the meth—you have a lot better weight management with meth, right? Well, at least you took care of your heart disease problem. <laughs> don't do meth if you're listening to this. I don't want anybody doing oh, and meth. If, and for for super for superhero powers, PCP. Yeah. Okay, well, here it's bad advice time, guys. <laughs> Steroids and creatine, guys. That's that's how I got shredded. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, like, you know, if you're trying to be ideologically consistent and you just say, you know, I, I don't like drugs and I, you know, I think they're harmful. Well, then you're not really looking at all the data. There's a million things that are more likely to harm you than drugs. It's like, um, man, I, I, I love this. Uh, I talked about breed specific legislation. You're more likely to get killed by an icicle falling on your head than a pit bull killing you. Are you going to ban icicles? Are you going to ban like overhanging roofs? No, of course not. That's stupid. Right. And so we accept that there's just some things that you say there's, there's a stigma around it that is misleading. And like I said, drugs are still bad, but it's one of those. that's like, if we're going to throw everybody that has a bad idea in prison, then our prisons are, everybody's going to live in a prison. Right. And meanwhile, and- meanwhile, we end up getting to a point where somebody like my wife who has to go through cancer and chemotherapy for years mm. and could have had some alleviation of a lot of her symptoms by being able to smoke a stinking plant and is told she's not allowed to. I mean, where's the compassion in that? Right. Can oh, yeah, in, in America, I, I had a <laughs> drug test once a bunch of years ago and it, it, I kept getting, I kept wondering why the test hadn't come back from the, my employer. I'm like, why haven't you told me about the status of the test? I finally tracked somebody down and he said, well, it's because there was a, there was a hit on the test and we're looking into it. I'm like, well, what was it? He says, well, it could have been like poppy seeds or something like that. I'm like, yeah, but what's, what is it that's causing you the heartburn? And he says, well, it could have been meth. And I'm like, look at me. There's no way anybody could look at this body and go, oh yeah, he's doing meth. Right. It's just not the way it goes, guys. It's not how it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're libertarians and endorses meth for weight loss. Thank you for recognizing that. Look, we just need to be intellectually honest. Well, Adderall is meth. Well, there you go. Specific kind of meth. <laughs> you know, there we, we have to be intellectually honest when we talk about these things. And it's hard because I think we don't want to recognize that they're true because we don't feel that we act that way. But it doesn't mean that everybody else isn't. Let me give you one more example just before we touch off of systemic racism, because I know you're really eager to talk about Libertarian Party and LNC stuff, right? But uh, before we get off of this, there was a test done once where they had two identical applications submitted to various uh, restaurants, right? And one of them, just the person had a very ethnic sounding black name and the person, the other one had a very white sounding name. And the one got a call, got called back like four times more than the black one. And now here's the thing. Maybe you, maybe even you genuinely don't think that you would do this. You just say, I am not that kind of person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be this. That you, you might be in the minority. And that's what systemic is. You might be the exception, but the rule is something else. And, and, and it's hard. A, it, it is hard to accept because you don't want to think that you would behave that way. Sorry, go ahead. There's a lot of reasons why uh, there's a lot of black families and a lot of immigrant families who have last names like Jefferson, Washington, you know, white sounding names because they ran into so many. I mean, how many people who come over as immigrants have changed their name? I know my wife's family uh, changed their names when they came over from wherever I think they were in uh, Eastern Europe in the twenties or whatever, when they came over, they changed their name to sound more American so that they wouldn't be stigmatized just by that name choice. And there, like I said, there's been studies, like you said, where they've had the exact same person applying for housing or jobs. And all they did was send in a 
different name on the resume and the other names would be the ones that always get called back. The Trump was famously in trouble for that for twice for uh, he didn't want section eight housing in his, in his uh, apartment. So he would, he had instructed the, uh, and that's the accusation. Um, but they know that the, um, the manager would be marking applications that were black separately so that they could be uh, identified and pulled out of a list. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's st- stuff like this. And here's the thing. When we talk about a system, these, these aren't just exceptions. And let's go back to Arbery. Just wrap up Arbery real quick. There was a bunch of things. And you just want to say, okay, that was one individual. That's one individual. That's one individual. When they're all in conjunction with each other, that's when you get a system. The thing is you had the 911 caller. You had the McMichaels who shot him down. You had the prosecutor who covered for them to shoot him down. And you had the local media saying that he deserved to die. So that is a system. Those are four different entities. They didn't really like know each other or whatever. And they all worked in conjunction to have this happen against this black man. Now, if the shooters were immigrants, would the same thing have happened? If this jogger was white, would the same thing have happened? No. I mean, it's just blatantly, even according to the 911's own words, right? 911 caller's words. He said, there's a black, the problem is that he's black, right? That's the issue. Would they be digging through these? I mean, they always dig through these criminal histories. This always happens when, when they shot that one guy inside of his house, right? Oh, it was an accident. He did have marijuana in his house though. Yeah, that's really important for us to know. Thank you. Like, cause that was, I killed the guy in his own house, but he did have weed, I mean, when you're going to, it's just a matter of damaging somebody's reputation. And this is the system that we have, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's still, it is partly kind of racial systemic racism, but it's also partially just the notion that police feel that they can act the way they think they can act. Um, You look at some of the, there's instances where white people were killed this way too, right? So they may not be making the news as much, but you had the uh, Kelly who was, kind of mentally challenged a little bit and he was beaten to death mm-hmm. by police. We had a woman who um, she had just come back from, from prison and she was going home and there was an argument in the street, probably because they, whether she wanted, she should be there or not or whatever. Uh, so the police showed up, a dog came out. The policeman immediately got scared and pulled the gun out to shoot the dog, slipped on ice and killed the woman. Right. So it's, it's a lot of bad training by police. It's a lot of uh, police thinking that they have the right to do this stuff. So it's just the horribleness of the police force. And then you add on top of that, the, the reinforced systemic racism that just keeps cycling through the system. And that just makes things worse. Right. So guys, even if you don't find any of this compelling, even if you just say, you know, I still am not sold on systemic racism, just first of all, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and you'll start seeing it. But even if, you know, I don't convince you now, let's just say the whole system needs to be fixed, right? Even if you don't want to fix it because of race, you do want to fix it, right? Ultimately, we shouldn't have shot down joggers and people dying in their own homes. And, and, and this is just, you can unite with these people, mm-hmm to fix the system, even if you're not sold on it. I, I, again, you and I, I think Reinhold are of the same mind. I think most of the We Are Libertarians podcast 
maybe aside from Tad recognizes that there's some issues here, but even Tad would want the criminal justice system reformed so that even the illusion of racism shouldn't exist. Right. Even the, you can make it so that that is just totally gone by having more transparency, by having de-escalation techniques, by treating everybody equally, by having those body cams always up and functioning. Yeah. Right. Just a they whole bunch of fail. Such, such a horrible, Isn't that weird. It's, yeah. it's such a bad technology apparently that yeah. they just keep getting turned off and not working. It's weird because every private citizen with a GoPro, it always seems to work just fine. But, you know, something about well, the it's police. It's a bad batch to manufacture, maybe. Yeah, maybe the, the police are just always getting the bad batches. Maybe that, that person who did that batch was on meth that day or something. <laughs> <laughs> ah, maybe we should keep it illegal after all. All right. Anyway. All right. Well, let's get into some uh, Libertarian Party stuff. Guys, uh, today has reinforced more than ever why being a Libertarian does not necessarily mean you are a registered party Libertarian. I am of that category. Um, I believe I've paid all my dues, but I'm not actively involved with the Libertarian Party. Um, that being said, it's very public and you can always see what's going on with them. And so I always, of course, because when you talk about Libertarianism, look, let's not beat around the bush here. People pay attention to politics usually once every four years. And we're in one of those fourth years. And so a lot of people are paying attention to us who didn't pay attention before. And when they hear libertarian, they think, oh, who's the last? Oh, Gary Johnson, right? That's the first libertarian that comes into most non-libertarian people's minds because that's who our last presidential candidate was, right? And so now when, you know, it looks like, and honestly, I think it's inevitable, but Justin Amash is coming and we say, okay, well, that's the people who people are going to know for a little bit. You know, this is just, this is whoever gets the nomination. And so people care about this process once every four years. We have a lot of eyes on us and we want to make sure that process goes smoothly. That process of selecting anything right now is not going smoothly at all. And you've probably had the most vocal person about it. Reinhold, on here. To the the point where everybody's telling me to shut the hell up. (laughs) <laughs> but it's important to talk about because this this is something that we we need to get with the you know we need to get the first world but I want to I want to have all the details out here first. I'll be the detail guy but I think you've seen a, a lot of just what's going on here. Now, this is something even I'm paying attention to this year because it's the first time. Uh Reinhold, you actually regularly kind of watch some of the the meetings and the emails and everything that goes forward, they're public. I haven't paid attention until this year. I've just kind of said, you know what, let's whatever. And then I was like, you know, let's see how this process is going. And you know what? COVID-19 is shaking things up. So we might not be able to have a physical convention or maybe we will, you know, but either way, it's getting really ugly. So let's start with step one. Uh, we had, we, we were going to meet in Austin. Um, that's weekend. not happening now. Why is Austin no longer happening? Well, there's a little COVID-19 crisis going on right now. And we aren't now, I believe in Austin, we're not legally allowed to meet, right? Or in Texas, right? Well, Texas, they're opening Texas back up. I think large groups are still uh, illegal. So they, they had to kind of cancel. the. So they made the decision a couple of weeks ago to cancel the um, the convention at that date and time. And they gave themselves 10 days. And we talked about this, um, talked about it with Chris before, but they gave themselves like 10 days to come up with a new um, location in place 
that we would have the convention, right? Uh, and you then they did. They came. Perfect. They came back in six days later. On the next weekend, they came back seven days later, and in a long, grueling eight and a half hour meeting that I watched every minute of, um, they finally came to the conclusion that um, the that Roberts' rules dictates that the the inter in interpretation of place means a physical location therefore that applies to the bylaws therefore the bylaws they limit the fact that we can have an online convention so therefore it has to be on site so it has to be a physical place that's the interpretation that was made even though there were other people who also are uh, very big in robert's rules who uh, disagree with that interpretation but the people who believe in the one interpretation over were larger number on the LNC than the people who had the other interpretation. This is, let's go on this for a little bit. Is a place a place? Is meeting online a place? What do you define as a place? So if, if you say, okay, a place is a physical location, I'm like, great. We are going to meet in the country of the United States. That's a place. Mm -hmm. We're going to facilitate that meeting in this large place by using internet connectivity to make sure that we can communicate more effectively. Right? So, <laughs> theoretically, you and I could meet in a place online. That place, though, would be wherever the server is, right? Like, wherever so well, we'd be meeting. Depending on, yeah, depending on how you want to look at it that way. You know, I mean, there we could be meeting at a place on a server. We could be meeting in a place in the fact that our two physical locations are still within the confines of what you could define as a place. Right. Right. You could say the, the planet is a place, you right. know, and they just say that you existing there, uh, you know, so if we go to a physical convention, they put up a big screen and they have a cameras and you can watch what's going on because there's so many people you can watch what's going on on that screen. Well, that's using technology to help facilitate the meeting. Mm -hmm. You have microphones to help facilitate the meeting. Why is a, a microphone any different? because it's 150 feet away from the speaker or the, you know, the chair as opposed to 150 miles from the chair. Right. It's 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 fine. Technology either way. Yeah. It's, it's, but, but there are people who say, no, it's gotta be in, in position. And, and their position is, is that they think people should be able to be able to speak up and say, and, and raise their arms and wave and say, I need to be paid attention to because I have a privileged motion or you're doing something wrong and we're all upset about it. And, you know, have them pounding the tables and making noise so that the person who's doing the wrong thing, if the chair is doing something that they don't like or agree with, instead of doing what normally happens is where we have a vote about that. Do you agree with the ruling? That's why we try not to have rowdy, conventions we normally don't have that rowdy of a convention right um is because that's we all keep order in doing that and why that would change either this year or because we're online i don't know but that's the fear and, and really what's going on now is the party's kind of tearing itself apart because there are people who want to block innovation and there are people who want to move forward with innovation instead of seeing a problem they see how can we solve the problem so there's those people and then there are people who say this is a problem and you're solving that problem is a bigger problem than the original problem right 
And I want to, I don't want to straw man anybody here, but I just, I'm with you as far as moving forward. I just think, you know, to try and present their arguments in the best light. Yeah. When you have a bunch of people on a zoom call, you're going to have to mute them and, and you can't allow for everybody booing and cheering all at once. Right, because then it would just—I mean—you wouldn't be able to hear anything, right? Right, right. At least when you've got a microphone. A little bit of, it changes the dynamic, and it also changes. So right now we have conventions that are uh, in physical locations that take time to get there, and money to get there, and people buy packages, and it's a big party, and that's how we do a lot of, of raising of funds, and that's where a lot of this concern comes in too. Um, but we do that with with the understanding that the people who maybe are better delegates aren't able to attend those meetings they're yeah. franchised from doing that they can't be delegates because they're not going to go to you know seven states away and take the weekend off and be able to get off work and have the money to pay for it and all of that stuff right so those people are disenfranchised so now we're people are upset that well if you have an online convention the people who don't have good computer skills or understand how computers work or even have a connection they're going to be disenfranchised. So somebody's getting screwed somewhere either way. So, and, and what Nathan's saying is something I really wanted to touch on is that we are trying to convince the people of the United States that private organizations are the most effective way to run things instead of having a government body doing it because the private organization is more agile responds better to what's going on around it can make decisions quicker and can do it in a way that everybody's opinions is respected. And it, it's a better solution. That's been our whole spiel for decades. And when it push comes to shove, we have proven that that isn't true. Just by looking at what the LNC is doing. Right. And this is, it really is about innovation and moving forward. And I understand that there's some security and bylaws, but there's also a time when laws need to change. I think this is the perfect example. We as libertarians understand laws are bad arbiters of the right thing to do, right? We say this all the time. You can never have a law that perfectly covers every eventual situation that you may run into. And you have to be able to change and do things. Thomas Jefferson violated the Constitution, right? When he bought the Louisiana Purchase, he is not authorized to do that. But he was given a, a, a three-day deadline or whatever, and he said, here's the deal, and it was a great deal. So he said, I'm, to, I'm going to do it. It's going to be unconstitutional, and they can kick me out for it if they do, but I'm going to do what's the right thing. And some people think that the right thing is adhering to the rules to a point where it prevents the party from getting their presidential and vice presidential nominations on the books and uh, accepted by all the states so they can get on the ballot in all 50 states by waiting until this pandemic is over, which they think miraculously is going to happen in July, apparently. Um, and, and then we'll all be able to meet and everything will be great. And, and that won't cause a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's a, but oh, the- and, and, and the worst. OK. And this is the argument I got in today that's really been frustrating is that. OK, so. And this is really inside baseball, and, and you guys may not want to hear about this, but the biggest problem that the, the heartache that the LNC has is they're upset because they think that the chair, Nick Sarwark, is trying to push for an online convention, right? So he thinks he's making moves behind the scenes, and he may very well be. I'm not saying he's not, but he's trying. He's, everybody in, so everybody in this whole situation 
is doing what they think is best, right? So that's part of the problem. So there's no real bad actors on that end, although there are some, I think, that are trying to manipulate the system but uh, for political gain. But there are people who are really just doing what they think is right. So they feel that he's trying to, he's overstepping his bounds and he's trying to push for an online convention. So they're trying to limit the choice of signing the contract for having the convention in July, because in two weeks we have this agreement where we're going to get together and we're going to vote for the president and vice president. So that was a compromise that was made between the members, the different factions on the LNC that we would do a limited online um, convention they're called it has to be kind of be called a convention because it has to be voted but it has to be ratified at a physical later but that's legalese so that's the that's what they come up with so they're complaining that he's trying to overstep his bounds so what they wanted to do was tell him he had to sign the contract even though we were going to meet in two weeks and they haven't given him the contract yet and he said he wasn't going to sign it now they're saying that he's not going to sign it because he wants to remove any um incentive for the body who meets online to go forward with the physical convention. If there's no signed contract, then they may be more apt to choose doing a whole online convention than they would be if it was uh, signed and they were locked into that money. Right. But then at that point, the LNC is now limiting choices for the delegates Right. So they're trying to tell the delegates what they can and can't vote for. And then the states. So so then they had a couple test runs of how they're going to try to do the online convention. There were a few hiccups and problems. I'm not going to say there weren't. There were some issues, but they're trying to work through them. But because of those issues that we had, those people who originally didn't want to have an online convention started saying that they wanted to rescind that agreement put together a motion, going to send that agreement. And they're voting on that now to basically take away the online option, not have the meeting next weekend and continue on with just the July one. And there's support for it right now. It's at, I think uh, four to three vote or, and there's been four co um, uh, sponsors oh, to it. Yeah. So we've got sponsors and four co-sponsors. So I think we're gonna get five votes there. It's already four to three. Right. And they're taking their time and they're going to vote for it. Like on Wednesday, it's going to be the final of the vote. And they may decide right then that, oh, we're not doing the Friday night convention after everybody's put together the work to do. So the states got together, about 20 or so state chairs got together and spent hours on Zoom trying to put together a proclamation um, with all the whereases and everything else that goes into the flowery things. It's kind of annoying sometimes. It's awful. Um, but they basically said that these are the things we want to see in an online convention. You have to respect this. You have to respect that. You know, the uh, if somebody's trying to make a privileged motion, there's got to be a way to see it. There's got to be visibility on who's what the the list is of people who are sp- up to speak next, right? So there are some options where that can be turned on and turned off. So they're saying that these options have to be in place for us to consider this legitimate and to ratify it. But then they get a little farther and said that we want to con- to tell our delegates to respect the agreement and not vote on certain things at this online convention and leave it to the physical one. And then they're going to tell the delegates who go to the physical that they should honor the decisions that were made at the online convention, right? So that now you've got the state chairs trying to tell the delegates how they should vote. They're not telling them they have to vote that way. 
but they're they're giving suggestions and they're trying to urge people to vote a certain way and it's like guys the once that gavel hits and the body votes you don't get a better representation of what the the party wants to have done than when you have a thousand people making that decision not 15 people on lnc or however many there is right now and not 20 chairs right Right. A thousand people are going to be deciding this and discussing it. Respect their decision and let them figure it out. You've had all the, they've had all this time to go back and forth and argue and fight and act like children for months. And they won't give the thousand delegates a couple days to kind of figure out what they want to do. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't trust Nick's artwork at all. Uh, me personally, this is not the Weird Libertarians podcast. There's some people who experience a great relationship with Nick. I know that we had some some of our guys meet with him. So this is my personal point of view. When I heard the accusations this week that Nick was doing deceitful things and trying to strong arm people and abusing his power, I messaged everybody that I could. There was a couple who didn't have social media convenient to me or at least any way that I managed to find them. Right. But I messaged them all and I said, you know, how many of you, you know, do you feel just between you and me anonymously, do you feel like Nick tried to strong arm you or deceive you? And over half of them said, yes, here's the problem though. As much as I dislike Nick for being that way, being pushy, I do think he's probably doing it because he feels it's best for the libertarian party. And these guys also have motives as well. Right now, of, among the people that said yes, a lot of them were actually in agreement with him on this particular subject that we're talking about right now. A lot of them, they just said it was about something else that happened, that he flexed his power, said, you know, I'll make sure you never work for the LNC again or something like that. You know, and I know I had I, I had a couple specifically say that he might have just been drunk and joking around and some people took it seriously. I know there have been some floating around drinking problems. I've never seen Nick that I knew drunk, but apparently he is more drunk. He's drunk more often than I know, at least according to the people. I don't know. I I don't want this to turn why he's not running again. Right. I don't want this to turn into Nick's artwork drama. Truthfully, I just think think about Nick before you go forward. He's, he's trying to push the party into a more big boy party as it were, as he sees it. And I understand what he's trying to do. And I, I, I fully understand that he might be doing some of these things and strong arming people and being a tyrant as it were. But when it comes to honoring what the delegates want, right. And respecting what the delegates decide, he may disagree with them. He may vehemently say it's a wrong thing to do, but he will always side with the delegates choice. He will never try to override the will of the body itself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I, I've never seen that. Is what I'm saying. If um, if there's been times where he there's been one individual who is just like trying to keep making a point, and he would say, "Read the room. The room is saying they want this to happen. Won't you be quiet and go do that?" But he doesn't tell them they can't. He just he tries to give little hints and prods and says, "You know, walk what's going on." But it's always at the at the expense of what is the body saying right now? What does it look like the body wants right now? When he's sure. running those meetings. Ultimately, we could have a robot run it if we didn't want his point of view. And right. so we, and if we were just following the, the, the uh, Robert's rules of order. We could right. just have an AI doing that. Right. We don't need people exactly. who are reading those, you know, well, this is going through this rule and this is not going through this rule. Think about what's going on and that that rule might just not be valid at this point. There was no 
um, belief that this was going to be an issue and there wasn't anything written for it. So we have to kind of think on our feet a little bit and think about what the spirit of what the bylaws say and what the best thing for the body is and make those decisions. Yeah. I just think he's a guy that's under a tremendous amount of pressure. And I would cite a lot of his missteps towards feeling that pressure is I guess what I would say. And, and, and again, I have been hard on him. I probably harder than anybody in the chat on him as far as the real libertarians guys go, but I think they're legitimate mistakes uh, that he's made with people that I trust and good people. And, and I think I don't like to see it when somebody feels bullied into doing the wrong thing. And there's some of them that had said, I'm, I I am sure sorry. Yeah. Oh, the Jody Wheeler. Yeah. By lawyer. That deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and so I think that they're in a tough situation and here's the thing with the bylaws. Like here's the thing. There are personal laws that we make up, mm-hmm. right? Just so like, if you're a business and you say, here's how we're going to run our business. Now here's the thing you could adhere to, let's say blockbusters bylaws. And say, nope, I, I see nothing in here about our rules of how we conduct our business that says we're going to take advantage of the internet age. So we are going to stick to video VHS cassettes and never upgrade to DVD or streaming or online or anything. What happened to Blockbuster? <laughs> they closed their doors. They went out of business, right? There comes a time when you need to look at these things and say, is this helpful or hurtful to us right now? I understand the spirit of the guideline. Maybe it's security. These are all things that we should consider. And you talked about it for a little bit. We do want to know who's speaking. We do want to know objections. We do want to know all these things. And these are things that we can flesh out with an online convention. Maybe it's not possible, but at least let us explore to say that I want to make sure that the vote is secure is a legitimate concern. But let's explore how we can make that possible Instead of why it's impossible and so we're never even going to try and we just need to meet physically in a place, even though it's probably going to lose us ballot access on many states, including mine here in Utah, um, and why it's not going to work out and why a lot of people won't be able to travel for it into a place that, I mean, I mean, they've talked about Orlando and here's the thing about all this right now with COVID-19 going around. Most of these rollouts are kind of at the discretion of the governor or the mayor or wherever it may be. And it's, they're getting extended a lot by saying like, well, I thought we'd be at less cases. Right now we're kind of av- adding an even amount of cases every day. I'd love to think we're on the other end of the curve right now, guys. But if you look at the graphs in the United States, it's we're, uh, we're, we have the same amount of new cases every day pretty much. Okay, mm-hmm. So we're not on the other end yet. And so what does a governor see? Well, if I let this convention take go through and people get sick, they're going to blame me. So there's no way. And so what they're doing is now, I mean, this is the problem with Austin is we held out for a long time, hoping that Texas would rescind its order or be done with it. And it turns out they're not. And so now we say Orlando and just recently, it's not through our hypothetical convention day, but the governor there has just extended it again and he could extend it again. And then what happens now? We still don't have a presidential nominee vice presidential nominee, new chair, new vice chair, none of that stuff, right? And we're still just going to sit there waiting while everybody else, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be talking about debates. They're going to be talking about how, you know, they're going to be campaigning. And what are we doing? We still don't know who the guy we're sending up is that's supposed to be campaigning. And, 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 and look at this too. We got the Constitution Party had theirs online. The Green Party is going to have theirs online. Yep. We had a party of Utah for a uh, Republican, right? They had theirs online. 
yeah. and they have more delegates there than we do, and they, it worked fine for them. Uh, the House just announced that they're going to do remote voting um, for House representatives, right? So everybody's putting these things in motion and making it happen, and there are companies who have been doing this for so long with stockholder meetings that are online because it was just so hard to get everybody in fiscal place for stockholder meetings. Uh, the, the, the shell infrastructure of all this is there already. This isn't, this isn't rocket science. And if we had looked at this as an option, is my understanding that the COC had uh, committee had uh, a, a bid in hand from the people who did the GOP convention to make ours work. And it was never presented because it was not considered valid because we couldn't do it because of the bylaws. So they just kept it, they kept sitting on it. The first person I saw in the LNC, uh, Stephen, the first person I saw in the LNC um, who even mentioned that we need to do something and brought forward an idea back in March, um, made the suggestion that we just, uh, for the president and vice president, we just asked the state chairs to get a list of their delegates and then send that information to the LNC. They would tally up the votes, the secretary would tally them, and then that would be the selection, right? Uh, then if they need to go to a second round or a third round, they could do that. But each state would be able to get that information easier than trying to do it in a, a one big group. Right. So that was an option that was put out there and it was just ignored for the most part. And they kind of him and the hawed for a couple months. And now they're trying to go, oh, we need to do something. And it's too late. I mean, I, I am all for them doing this online convention, but I've been in those tests and I think they work okay. And I think they would probably be okay. But I also know that there's going to be people who complain about it because this isn't right. And that's not right. And they're going to throw a fuss and, and try to get things put in place that they don't, you know, they, they want to make it fail. So right. there's going to be that. So you have to make it rock solid and there's not enough time to do. No, the conspiracy of course, is that, uh, basically you don't want Justin Amash to face real criticism or pushback right he joined late look he and i'm going to be blatant about this too we targeted justin amash again i think nick did it for a good reason but it was very excessive and obvious even a year ago we were talking yeah. about how we had to file a form here on we're libertarians to get our debates shared and i i don't know what happened i, I actually filed the form but they'll retweet the church of Satan like that. You know what I mean? Like no problem. And then, and so what happened is they'll retweet Justin Amash stuff. And then we're like, okay, well, how about maybe some people who are also in the libertarian party? I'm not saying you can't tweet outside the libertarian party, but share our stuff too. It was very blatant. It was very one-sided. They got called out for it. They've been doing it for a long time. They finally got what they wanted. Justin Amash joined and is running for president. It's obvious they were targeting it to me. If you disagree, Anybody out there, come at me, bro. I think it was very blatant. We were even talking about this a year ago. So. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying you're you're wrong. Uh -huh. What I'm going to say is that Justin Amash is not the only person they targeted. They've been targeting other people too. They've been working. I mean, this is something Nick has said for a long time that he goes and talks to these people and tries to convince them to join the party. He's talked to Massey. Sure. He's talked to Rand. I know he's talked to these people and he's tried to convince them to do this. And Justin finally bit. I mean, he was in a position where I think it made sense for him to do it. Sure. He, his, the party had changed. He was not a Republican anymore. It was very obvious that he wasn't. So when he left to become an independent because he wanted to try and put some separation from during his Senate run, you know, or House run to get back in the House, he was actually still up in, in uh, fundraising and kind of in the polling. And then he decided that he would rather 
join the Libertarian Party and, and run as Libertarian, but he took some time to get there, right? So when I think about it, and I think he was doing it for uh, maximum effect of media attention because he's a smart politician. And that's part of the thing that's missing a lot in the Libertarian Party is some smart politicians going on, right? So, um, and some political acumen, as it were. So. When you are an agent for a promising NFL star that you know is going to go in the top 10, what's your advice when the combine comes around? Don't participate. Mm-hmm. Don't play. You can only hurt yourself, right? And so it's the thing for Justin Amash. When you know that you can get the Libertarian nomination pretty easily, yeah, don't hurt yourself. Don't play. Don't go to the debates. Don't do anything you don't have to do, right? And so the argument then is that in kind of this convention becomes the one time where we actually say, okay, you have to sit here and you have to debate and you have to listen to the dele- delegates. Now, to Justin Amash's credit, he's debating anyway right now. Yeah. He's going through ours. You're going to hear him on this network tomorrow, tomorrow working with Matt Welch of Reason right here on the Weird Libertarians Network, guys. We're really excited for that. We're, we're becoming big boys. It's really awesome. I mean, yeah. Chris has done a well, lot of work and knowing these guys. I guess he's turned down Lines of Liberty. Okay. But I think there might be a conflict that that's why he did that. I don't know. But I know that they're oh, kind no. of like, hey, we should do our debates. And, mm-hmm. and I think he's trying to do as many as he can. I, I remember when they were doing the AMA. When Chris was hosting with um, with Chrissy on the Christie and Jess show, um, somebody it was one of the LNC members called in. Uh, um, I can't remember his name now. Um, but anyway, um, but he called in and said, "Hey, I represent a region, and my region would love to have a, a town hall with you." And he said, "Yeah, we should do that. Put it together." And he and I talked. We talked to him afterwards in the little Zoom meetup after, mm-hmm. and he said. That they had or the, the the campaign had already got with him and was working to set it up. Oh, nice! So, well, so I mean, so they were acting on this stuff right away. Right, and so I don't want to say, look, I am Justin Amash was not my first choice for president. He was most people's first choice for president in our fan club, but that's that's neither here nor there. Either way, I understand the tactic. I want to stress that I still love Justin Amash. I might have loved somebody else more, but I still love Justin Amash, and I think he, he will do us proud to put forward, right? I mean, you, you've you've endorsed somebody else. I mean, that's completely fine. And right. We're, we're individuals here, you know, individualists. So, yeah, the people right. you want to endorse, you can endorse whoever you want. I personally haven't technically made up a, a, my mind on that. I mean, I'm still cool. of a different thoughts processes, but – right. Um, I mean, I- I got Berman. Uh, Dale's got the Jacob Hornberger. Uh, Chris is, I mean, he's fan boy. He's doing well, even toning it down, but he's very excited about Justin Amash. Well, that's the thing. It just does bring some excitement to people who have been wanting to see the party move forward and not regress back. So there's an old argument about this, that we've had this fight for years and years uh, about what type of presidential candidate we should run. And, like I said, it was part of what happened in 1983. It caused the split. It was a, a combination of that and the other thing we were talking about, kind of pulling together at the same time. Um, and there's also some personal animosity that happened to the two groups' leaders that factored in, unfortunately, too. Sure. Um, but, you know, that's, that's an exciting thing to say, e- even if you're not excited about him being the presidential candidate or running for office, he made the choice to run while he was a sitting congressman. That's the first time it's happened. That's a big, huge deal and a big milestone that the Libertarian Party has been looking for for years. 
Yeah. And it's just like another step. Right. We were we were kind of hovering at one percent with the uh the the run in nine in 80 1980 we kind of hit close to one percent and then we were down below it down below it down below it and then gary johnson came in and he got one percent then he ran again he got three percent we're seeing that uptick we're seeing we're seeing some movement we're seeing getting media's talking about us right so we're getting some attention we're getting more people coming to the party this kind of helps propel that and 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 um reinforce that going forward. And I think a lot of people want to see that momentum continue. That's why they're going to look to Justin and say, okay, warts and all, you know, he may not be the perfect libertarian, but he's a libertarian, you know, um, and he has been consistently for 10 years that we know of. So uh, I right. think that's what's going to end up kind of pushing that day through. Sure. I mean, we might as well get into it since we're talking about it now, but just as far as Justin Mosh, there's a lot of questions going on right now as far as Dems we would target, Tulsi's, Tulsi's yeah. Oh, Tulsi, yeah. I mean, the, like I mean, there's been, I, I can guarantee you that they've talked to Democrats too, right? So don't don't yeah. think that they're just going after Republicans, right? So they've talked to some Democrats. There are some good Democrats in there that have libertarian leanings mm-hmm. uh, that we could work with and talk to and maybe get convinced. I mean, uh, Chaffee, Chaffee, or you know, I can't remember Chaffee. how to pronounce it. Chaffee, yeah. he was a he was a Democrat for one time. You know, I mean, those mm-hmm. are people we kind of want to to work with, and right. Um, now, and, and, and yeah, here's here's the thing, and 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 Justin Amash, look, he has some problematic votes. We had a debate. If you want to see what those are, please watch the debate between Brian Ellison and Ryan, uh, not Ryan Lindsay, Brian Ellison and Brian Nichols we had here on the network. It was a fantastic debate. They both did a great job portraying why you would love slash hate to have Justin Amash be your representative. They did better than anything I could even bring up here. They covered it all. But here's the bottom line. Since we're talking about it, Amash has voted the conservative way many times. There are some things he's still kind of conservative about. Right. But these are exceptions to his general rule of libertarian, of being libertarian. When you looked at I, uh, another inter- interview, I'll point out was Tulsi Gabbard when she interviewed with uh, John Stossel. I love John Stossel, big fan. But he talked about, and really their one area of disagreement was schools. But here's the thing if Tulsi da- Gabbard becomes a libertarian, and says, you know what, instead of having somebody else pay for your schools, let's just deregulate schools and have them become free, would you still have an issue with Tulsi Gabbard? Probably a lot less, right? And, and and you would still want some of these past stanzas of hers to be reconciled and become more, more libertarian. I get it, right? I, I definitely, I understand the idea of putting the prostitute on the pulpit, right? We want to lead with maybe some people that are more libertarian and have been libertarian for a long time, but these are the people with the star power, right? They got the cards and these are the celebrities. Yeah, so what's, the advantage of having somebody on the pulpit who is the ideal libertarian, which doesn't exist. I'm sorry to say there's no such thing as an ideal libertarian because every libertarian is going to be a little bit different. Everybody's going to think a little different. So what you may think is perfect and um, unblemished libertarianism, I might have find problems with. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I find that thought process and term a little bit off, but even if we're going to go someone hugely principled and been in the party for years if he gets on that on that stage, as it were, and nobody goes to look at him and he gets no press and nobody hears anything he has to say, what have we gained? Right. This has happened before. We've had people like that run for president and basically be ignored completely. Right. Um, we had uh, a couple years ago, right before 
before Barr um, and before um, um, Johnson, there was a gentleman that ran and he got arrested at one of the debates because they wouldn't let him in the debate. Him and the Green Party candidate got arrested. That was the only news from his campaign other than the fact that he was mocked for saying that he doesn't have a, a driver's license. Right. So he got mocked for not having a driver's license and he got arrested in a debate and his name came forth in the discussion of presidential candidates. The Green Party got higher press than he did. Right. Right. And we we actually came in fourth that year in the votes. So it's like you're not proving to me the case that that's the best way to go when you can look at history and see that it's not worked. Now, it didn't work with Barr. Barr was a complete failure. We, I own that completely as far as the pragmatic side of things. I under, I accept that completely. He was horrible. And Wayne Root, I mean, don't even get me started on that. Not job. But um, Gary Johnson was a success. And it's, it's like people are trying to say he wasn't. I'm like, guys, <laughs> look at our history. It's all documented and out there. You can see what the vote totals were for every year and who ran. And you can go look up what they, they stood for and what they, what they uh, talked about. And you can see what happened. Right. This is, this is empirical evidence. Ryan wrote a great article and said, uh, well, I think it was uh, the libertarian party is for winning. Look, this is the political body of libertarianism. Yeah. This is the capital L party. I totally understand. I'm more of a small L libertarian than a big L libertarian. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think my dues are going through because I have them on auto pay, but I haven't, I'm not going to be a delegate. I'm not showing up to meetings. I do hang out with my local guys because my county guys are actually really cool and I have a good friendship with them. But I'm not, I understand that my work is not in this area. My work is media. My work is my family, my community service. That's how I am spreading liberty. I have decided not to go political, the political route. That being said, if you do go the political route, then the Libertarian Party is probably for winning elections. So as opposed to putting forth the purest Libertarian candidate, you need to put forth somebody who you think has a legitimate shot to win or at least expand your chance of winning next time. And I think that that's a good point. It was He said it and I kind of thought about it for a little bit and I was like, that does make a lot more sense because I, I, I am very much... I'm not a purist, but I definitely am concerned when somebody puts up a bunch of things that might be pro-border or support the Defense of Marriage Act or something like that. Oh, yeah. I kind of go, like, I just want, I because I feel like we do kind of drift too far right, and I'm very eager to have somebody who can pull from the left. And that's coming from somebody who used to be right myself. I just think that we need that kind of a little more balance. I'm sick of kind of seeing the ex Republican that with libertarian leanings, I kind of wouldn't mind an ex Democrat with democratic leanings. Try, you know, like just, just to do it, just to mix it up a little bit, just to get some more people. But again, that's not my fight. So my argument, I, I invalidate myself from the argument willfully, because if I cared, well, then I would step it up and I'd show up and I put him the work. You know, somebody said, um, I think it was Ethan Bishop Henchman, don't threaten to leave, threaten to stay, right? If I believe that this Libertarian Party thing, this politics thing could be won, I would still be participating in it. Now, I've I've pulled the plug on it. That being said, I don't want to discourage anybody who thinks that they can win this way, to think that this is the way to go. Here's the thing that people don't get. A lot of people don't get. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say everybody. Um, What we're doing in these campaigns and these elections and getting 3% and getting 4% 
may sound like we're accomplishing nothing and not winning, but we are actually swing elections. We are becoming the people who that if you want to win, you have to court. The Democrats have their base that are always going to vote Democrat. The Republicans have their base that are always going to vote Republican. They're fighting for that middle ground. And we are becoming a huge chunk of that middle ground. So they're going to have to start modifying the things that they stand for because these parties shift and change all the time on their stances. There's nobody you know, who really looks is going to say a Democrat is always a Democrat and a Republican is no. always a Republican. I mean, it's not <laughs> happening. So they will adopt what we're saying. Look at how much adoption of mar uh, marijuana legalization has come in the past four years, maybe eight years, since Gary Johnson was running as a libertarian candidate. It got information out. It got as a part of the conversation. People said, oh, in order to get these guys, maybe I should go and, and get some of these ideas over, some that we're more tolerable with, and get them moved over. We were for equal marriage, you know, marriage equality. We were for marriage equality 20 years before the Democrats were. They didn't become a party of marriage equality until 2012. And it, to say that we don't have a, 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 a part in that, and then what we've done politically hasn't been part of that equation is just burying your head in the sand. We have made incredible strides, mm -hmm. even though we lose, in shaping the debate and getting our message out there to affect the other parties and get and get actual liberty trying to get in there. So we're seeing some some benefit of that. Now there's we're still going backwards in other areas and we're trying to do what we can, but I think I think as people see if you start showing people success, if you start showing people that your plans work, so if you say, okay, we were for legalization of marijuana, we're for uh, same-sex marriage, marriage equality, and those things now have passed, and they're part of the culture, and it's a success, and people agree that this is the right thing, and yeah, I think this is the right the right thing. Well, maybe some of these other ideas that these libertarians have or might be good. Let's think about them, and we can get some of the more, you know, further along ideas get them implemented prove that they work get some more ideas in prove that they work you prove to people think that you, that things work you're going to make a lot more inroads in getting them to support you next time around right look how many people came to us because of ron paul that mm -hmm. don't agree with i mean we already talked about it but don't agree with ron paul on some things look mm -hmm. at people that came in because of gary johnson i mean larry sharp is one of my i think he is probably the best speaker in the libertarian party, maybe even Liberty movement at large. I think he's the best, most eloquent speaker. And he came in because of Gary Johnson. Now I'm kind of tepid on Gary Johnson. I don't hate him. I, I should say, I love Gary Johnson. I just Gary love Johnson, other people. As a person is one of the nicest people. Right. I love, I, I, I would have preferred other people, but I can't deny that I have Larry Sharp because of Gary Johnson, right? And I see certain people here, Justin Amash, and people in my family start to get excited about it that are kind of more lukewarm libertarians. Most of my family is libertarians, even my extended family now. But, you know, they, they aren't as hardcore as I am. And they were kind of wish-washy on everything. They hear Justin Amash is, go, is joining. They're like, oh, let me... I'm ready to sign up. You know, well, like let, yeah. I'll pay my dues. Like let, four years I'm, ago, I'm I had people coming to me that who are who are members of my family, who knew I'm a libertarian forever. I mean, I made no bones about it in my family. Um, and they came to me and said, "Who's this Gary Johnson guy?" Because I really don't like these other two. This Gary Johnson seems to be making some sense. 
that's how you get people like that, right? So, you know, but you, they've got to be heard. Gary Johnson was doing four interviews a day, five interviews a day at least on major media, not like, you know, some off place. He was, there was a, a Reddit site that had a list of everyone where you go back and watch them all. And a lot of them have been taken down and changed off YouTube, but he had just tons of them. And that's how you get the message out by just sheer numbers of, of getting in front of eyeballs over and over and over and over again and repeating yourself over and over and over again. Whereas somebody else gets in who's not interested that the press doesn't label as being um, legitimate. And I'm sorry, that's the way it is. I mean, I don't want it to be that way. I don't think it should be that way. But it's the way it is. But this is the point. This is the Libertarian Party. Your job is to win political yeah. elections, right? This is not this is not the messaging branch. This is not yeah, the cultural have, branch. We have things like we are libertarians and yeah. and and reason, right? And Cato exactly. and yes. And how many libertarian podcasts are there that we are sitting here competing with all the time? The message is not it's not that the message isn't being said and being get, gotten out, that the pure message isn't there. It's just that no one wants to hear it until there's some politics behind it because then it becomes a sport for them or a blood sport. Or that's when they pay attention is when the, when the elections come around. That's how you get the eyeballs and the ears for your ideas, but you have to get the attention first. And you can't get the attention with people who the press doesn't uh, label as being valid. Right. And I understand I'm being a, a, a mosh apologist right now. And I think it's just be my nature of extending an olive branch. I don't at all regret my endorsement for Vermin Supreme. I think the mm -hmm. guy has a lot of media and that's part of it, right? He's got a mm -hmm. circus following him. And I hope that the message from that circus translates to libertarianism and anarchy the way he wants. I don't know, but I would like to try that. That being said, I also make the same point for Justin Amash. He has a circus that follows him. It's maybe a little less circus-esque than Vermin's, but he has a set of media that follows him and will give him the time of day. And leveraging that is a huge part for him to win. Now, I would prefer I prefer one over the other, but at least you and I are having the same conversation as opposed to just like arguing minutiae and uh, yeah. And then the art and the other are the other side of the Vermin Supreme, where he's getting attention because of a silly circus. You got Arvin Vorha, who's a got a circus as his own but because he's going for more of a, a shock value right so there's ways to kind of do that to get attention which ones work better and i, just I don't like think arvin vora in the same way that i like ben shapiro i think he spends way too much time talking about subjects that people don't care about slash kind of don't like about him yeah. and it's like man like if you just let that go and talk about the stuff you're good at you're so eloquent i mean it's very it is very rare to leave a de libertarian debate and think that arvin vora lost it i mean it, it, in most cases people would say he was the most eloquent polished look good but he also, spends we, we too him. much time talking about age of consent arvin I interview, we interviewed arvin. him at the 2018 convention and yeah. i was shocked kind of when just sitting down and talking to him okay so you, you get up and you make speeches and you say things in public a lot of that can be a rehearsal stuff right so a lot of that can be i've planned this out and this is my mantra that i've been speaking forever and ever and ever uh, and you can just regurgitate it in that setting but when you start to have a conversation with somebody and you still see them having that intelligence and the spark and, and you you realize that that's real like he's not a dumb guy um 
It's just I think he's chosen to go for a certain effect, and I don't agree with it. Right. Right. Well, we've talked to candidates for a while here. Let's get back into the LNC portion of things because that's what we promised, right? So this is this is the controversy. This is the whole reason we even started talking about this is people think Amash doesn't want pushback. We've gone into him participating mm-hmm. in some debates. But that the people who generally like Amash and people who aimed for him and wanted to pick him up, like Dick Sarwark, are now pushing also for an online convention. Now, here's the thing. I might disagree with Nick Sarwark about the Amash thing, but I think the online convention in light of the COVID-19 stuff makes a lot of sense right now. And and so I think that Nick is like, yeah, I think Justin's going to win. We've got a lot of work in bringing him over and we really need to make this happen. Um, But I also think that he would say, even if the body chose someone else, we still have to do it now to get them out there, to get them running, to get the, the attention, you know, campaigning. We can't wait. And all the ballots, too, to make sure we're not, not cutting him off on any of the ballots, whoever it is. Um, I think you would agree with that, that either no matter who wins, they need to have that ab- the ability to run right. uh, and run effectively and run for the right number of states then try to push it off to a July date. That's imaginary. That may happen. What do you do if it doesn't? What if you do, if you get to the end of June and they cancel it, then you're screwed because you've had all this time or you could have been doing an online convention prep and planning and getting it in place, but it's still the same argument. It's not in our bylaws. We have to meet locally. So what are we going to do? Just give up on the whole year right. and have an online convention, uh, have a in-person convention in January next year or, to, or February or July or whatever next year whenever we can do it right you know, we have really... to we have to look at solutions right we can't just keep talking about problems and that's what that's what leadership is 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 finding solutions so there was there's a a saying that i said earlier today that a coworker of mine had reminded me of it's it's kind of a thing that as an it guy um to meet a person but yeah yeah i mean I, that's still a hybrid that's still technically not valid but um, according to the bylaws, even what we're doing next week is technically against the bylaws, according to those people. But they decided to let it go because they needed to come up with something. They had to have some sort of agreement, and they're still no, no. Now they're trying to back out of it too. Right. Um, but when somebody says they need, so here's here's the thing: when somebody says they need a drill, if you look at it, they may not need a drill. What they need is a eighth inch hole uh, hole cut in a wall or a three quarter inch hole cut in a wall. Okay. So they're going to try and use a drill to do it, but that's not what they need. They don't need the drill. They need that solution. And in IT, we kind of are, is just kind of drummed in our head. We have to look for solutions to customers' problems, not just sell them a product and then try to make that product work. So who on the LNC is going and looking at this and saying, we have these problems Let's find a solution to get us what we need at the end of the day, as opposed to, I want to make sure that the tool we use is X, Y, or Z. Yeah. The DNC and RNC ignore the bylaws, their bylaws all the time. And because they're just their guidelines, it's not like there's some legal effect, right? They just are like, Mm -hmm. hey, we ignored it. Now, most of the time when they ignore it, it's bad. So like when Tulsi Gabbard, where they have some arbitrary bylaw, like, Oh, you know, if they're pulling above 8%, we'll let them debate. And then they pull 18%, but they're thrashing another one of their candidates. They say, 
Well, not that one though. Right. You know, I mean, they just say we don't feel that this is good, right? So we're just we're just going to change it. We're going to ignore it now. That's a bad way, right? That's when we look at it and we say, well, don't we want to adhere then to bylaws because mm-hmm. they keep us from doing really corrupt things like that that the Democrats and Republicans do? Yes, but again, they're always going to be guidelines. They will always be. There's not a legal thing behind them. You run right. it however you want it. Well, they're, they're, they're concerned there's going to be a legal challenge to candidates on the ballots if we didn't follow our bylaws in order to nominate that candidate. But every other um, party is doing this so that they don't have a leg to stand on in that regard. Right. Right. But, but the thing is, is that when you, when you have an issue like this come up and, and there are times that you have to kind of violate those bylaws and it's leadership that dictates when uh, knowing when to do that, when not to do that. And the reason we don't have a King of the libertarian party and we have a lot of people inputting is that if we can get all those people to agree and it's the right thing to do, then it might make sense. That that might be a, a, a level set of when you have the support to do that, right? Right. Um, so, and they can say right now that there's too much of a split, so therefore it's not the right thing to do. I said, maybe, but from me looking on outside, looking in and seeing the chaos that's created and the animosity that's happened and the fact that we're behind on this and we're going to look right. like idiots to the rest of the world, all of that taken into account, I don't think that they're doing the right thing on the leadership side. I, I think they, they're they're focusing on the wrong minutia bits and not what's best for the party. Right. And if it were me and I was on the LNC and I got to that situation and I said, you know, my principles are that I'm going to follow the bylaws and make sure that I protect the delegates and protect the party. But we're in a situation right now that I don't think can be solved by our current rules and we have to find a solution. I'm going to break those rules to make this happen. And if the body doesn't want me in here as an LNC member anymore, they can vote me out. I and then I've done that if, my... if you're watching these LNC debates, I promise that you do not care about the bylaws enough to say, but the bylaws at any moment in time, you will never find yourself stopping and being like, oh my gosh, we need more bylaws right now. Like you will find yourself praying for less of them. Sorry to interrupt, but I just feel like we're kind of in, in this caveat here. Like it's like, oh, but you know, we want to follow the rules. And it's your thing too. We we complain all the time about how, yeah, we complain all the time about we should have all rule, all laws should be easy to read. We shouldn't have volumes of law. We shouldn't have a law that's three thousand pages, right? How big are our bylaws? You know, they're talking about quoting by, page four hundred and something of the bylaws. I'm like. How big are our bylaws exactly? And maybe, <laughs> maybe we should take a look at that and really address this. And, and it's really irritated me that we've had these conventions over the past several years where we get together and we kind of make a change here. We kind of make a change there, but there's never enough time to really get into the nitty gritty on this and do something about things that need to be taken care of and have some forethought. We're just like, let's get our LNC guy in place. Let's get our chair guy in place. If it's a presidential year, let's make sure our president guy gets in place and all the other stuff can happen. We'll let other people worry about that. And there's never time for that. You know, it's, it's like always squashed because they want to get to the meat. And, and just in perfect libertarian principle, guys, the law has these laws have not stopped either side from doing what they want to do. They just utilize the ones that they like 
and ignore the ones that they don't like. Well, the Supreme and Court both, came back and said that the DNC can do whatever they want. Right. It's their club. It's yeah. our club, right? And so here's the thing. Like when we talk about ignoring the bylaws, I'm just saying hanging logs. I'm not saying I'm favoring one side or the other. Both sides of this online and physical convention have both at various times been like, nope, bylaws says you can't. Nope, bylaws says you can't. Or that's the stupid law. That's a stupid law. Both sides. Like I'm saying, this whole thing with Nick, Nick's corruption and these LNC people feeling feeling threatened or whatever to, to vote one way or the other has all been within the context of the bylaws. So this cor- the, the bylaws aren't stopping corruption. It's not mm-hmm. helping, right? Whether you think it's there or not, it's certainly not helping and it's not stopping anybody because just like laws in real life that we talk about all the time as libertarians, they don't, they aren't good at making moral things happen. That's kind of where I even started this podcast yeah. was the, the, the law does not make moral things happen. And so you don't just say, well, we can create the certain perfect set of laws that make That's, it so that that this corruption within the LNC that clearly exists, even if you don't think from Nick, from the people counter to Nick, that it isn't making it go away. And they're doing a substantial amount of damage. Both, I guess you could say both sides, but at least one side, you know what I mean, is doing damage within the context of the bylaws to hurt this party. Yeah, I mean that's what the Democrats always try to do. They try to make these policies, these programs that are going to solve these problems, and they're going to come up with all the different options and variations and things that are going to make it work. And they just need to adjust it here and fix it there, and then they can get it right. And it never works because they can never adequately see every single issue or problem that comes up mm-hmm. and in a deliberative body like the government and power being what it is and politics being what it is, you see what happens. And we're seeing the same thing in the LNC. How can we say that we're better when we're doing the same things? We have members of the LNC who are so upset that Nick Sarwark's trying to override the will of the delegates that they're willing to override the will of the delegates in order to stop him. How does that make sense? You, you're you're doing exactly what you're complaining that he's doing, and you're honest about it and open about it. How does that make it better? It, it it's a mess right now. Like this is honestly, I mean, I and Reinhardt, you have been following Reinhardt Reinhold. You've been following this. This is an Overwatch. Much like I know it's an Overwatch thing. You can tell I play video games. Sorry, uh, you you've been following this much longer than I have. For me, this is, and I, and I did watch them a couple years ago. This is the most contentious and fractured. And I, I would say this is the worst patch that I've seen in LNC history. Yep. I, for me, it's hard to yep. fathom a time when literally over, over half of your body says the chair is being corrupt. About a third of the body is saying that the chair is, you know, holy and has not been corrupt with them ever. And then you've got the chair, right? Who is, who is kind of, doing whatever he's doing. He's having drinking problems or whatever. And you just kind of say like, I I think for me, this is such a disaster at the worst possible time, (laughs) right? During a crisis. So if you, yeah, if you look at the, the, what happened last Saturday on the, on the, uh, or the, sorry, was it Saturday four? We had the, um, the, the eight hour marathon, right? At the end of the meeting, it was getting so contentious that there was somebody who said something and complained about something. And Nick said, that's not the case. Let's move on. And, so that person wasn't recognized anymore and they snide under their breath, made a comment about how that she was being ignored. And so it's just like, quit being kids. We're not five years old, right? These rules are there to supposedly to help make sure that the minority voice is heard 
but the majority rules out at the end of the day. That's what all of these Roberts rules are, uh, of order are for, is to make sure that the minority is heard, the minority is respected, but at the end of the day, the majority rules, right? And you can't put limits on the body like they're wanting to try to do and then try to say that you're protecting them. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're being a parent to me at this point. You're telling me what's best for me and I should just follow you and say what you, what is right and what is wrong. I may have been willing to go along completely with you, but guess what? We're libertarians. You start telling me I shouldn't do something. <laughs> you know, it, it, right. that's the worst thing to do to a libertarian. <laughs> you know? Right. But like, all these people try, you should stay home for the COVID thing. I am going to go out and I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to be the most free person ever because you told me not to. Right. So yeah, I think the, the please wear a mask in our store thing and the libertarians <laughs> are like, you'll never see my business again. Meanwhile, we've spent the past 20 years telling them they can discriminate against yeah. minorities and oh, yeah. you know, Oh yeah. You don't have to serve gay people. You don't have to serve black people. That's totally cool. But also, yeah, but, you, but you can't, you can't hire the people we agree that, you know, yeah. or shouldn't be hired. Right. So you just make oh, that. Right, the thing, yeah. Or the, or, or tell me to wear a mask in your store and abide by your rules. There's so we pick when we care about the store owner's rulership. Right. And this is just, this is kind of the perfect example. I don't want to get sidetracked to that. Cause we've talked that on other COVID but things. The but so yeah. my, my call right now is I think that there's, I have a list. I've been paying attention. Mm-hmm. I have a list of people that I will never vote for LNC again. Uh, I've got a list of people who I am ashamed that I voted for two years ago that are sitting on there now. And I wish I could take it back. And I know that there's actually something in the bylaws where that we could pull last conventions delegates and get somebody take, you know, go through a judicial review process and have all that done. I mean, I I don't want to get into that. That's silly, but. I wish, kind of wish I could at this right. point. I wish I could yeah. take back to my vote on some of these people. Um, but it's just like, what do you do? You know, you, you just, you expect the people that you put in there to represent you to not act like children. We're supposed to be in a, We're supposed to be trying to tell people that we are a big boy party, that we can, we can compete with the Republicans and the Democrats for the hearts and minds of the people. And then we act like little children in the middle of a, any crisis that comes along, mm-hmm. uh, whether, and I know they all think that they're right. They all have a righteous indignation. Yep. And that's one thing I've seen out of libertarians that really kind of irritates me is that we do have a righteous indignation so we're unwilling to bend or compromise or think about the implications of what our thoughts are. And maybe this isn't the time to talk about that. And maybe we should do something, you know, it's just like they have no capacity for straying outside of those hard, strict uh, confines, but we're human beings and we're in a society that isn't what we want it to be already. We have to understand that we can't, you know, wish everything away to be our Nirvana and our garden of Eden. And this is the way it should, we should act like it is already. It's like, no, we need to get it there first. And you need to take the time and do the work to do that. You can't just wish it that way. Right. Right. Well, we are about at uh, closing subject time. Uh, I will give you some of my final thoughts is what they're called. That's right. Closing subjects, final thoughts, whatever. Uh, You can tell I'm not the regular host of this. (laughs) Chris, we miss you, buddy. Um, (laughs) 
Well, uh, first, I don't think he's upset that he's missed me rail about the LNC for half an hour. This is an episode he probably didn't want to do. I, I would love to, I'm, I'm sure he would have loved to talk about the Arbery thing, but yeah, LNC drama is awful. Uh, it, it's the worst it's ever been. Anyway, um, let me start off. First of all, please catch our show. If you're listening to this on Friday, please catch our show tomorrow, Saturday. Again, this is huge for us. We're working with Reason Magazine. It's going to be going to their platform and our platform. Matt Welch is going to be moderating it. It's the, is it Kentucky? Kentucky, yeah. Kentucky, Kentucky uh, State, LP. It's, it's the Kentucky LP. We're working with a lot We're, of different. There's a co-sponsor, co I think, Missouri LP too. Oh, and Missouri LP too. We're working with a lot of different groups, okay, combined. <laughs> and a lot of them are what some would consider bigger than us. Of course, we love ourselves. <laughs> so we're not going to say whatever. But look, let's be honest. Reason's a big deal, right? We like them. We quote them. This is a great partnership. This is something that if this goes well tomorrow and you guys tune in, there is more opportunities to see the voices from We Are Libertarians go more mainstream. We need that real bad, right? Because this is a, we have great voices here of, Reinhold said it earlier, all different kinds. We got people that support Amash and Hornberger and Vermin Supreme and and Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp and Spike Cohen Noda. and right <laughs> and this is and Noda and none of the above. There you go. I almost forgot the most important one and none of the above. And so you have all these different people that that combine to make this network as good as it is because that diversity of thought is what allows you to have complex conversations. As opposed to just, well, I heard this from Ben Shapiro, and then as soon as I turn it in the workplace, I get smacked down. Well, that's going to happen all the time because it's one person. What happens when you're in a forum of thought, and believe me, everything you guys see on the air is discussed a great deal of hours <laughs> behind the scenes between people that we respect that both agree and disagree with us. And you see that final product make it to the air. So please tune in tomorrow. If you're a Patreon supporter, please continue to support us on Patreon. It is um, it is what keeps us going. It's what keeps Chris going. It's the reason we have this channel right now and why you're seeing it on so many different platforms. Thank you, Christy Avery, for your donation to let StreamYard go up because this is this has been incredible for us. Being able to go onto like six different platforms at once is freaking unbelievable. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but be a part of it. Um, to recap some things in the show that we talked about, man, the Arbery case hurts. It's sad. I think we, we talked about it from a very cold analytical perspective. This is a human being who is off of this world way too early. Your life would be better had the shooting not happened. His life would be better. His families would be better, but society is better if these shootings stop happening. And so instead of turning an eye or saying, I, you know, I had a great friend of mine just say, I'm just so sick of talking about these things. And I understand why it's very, it, it, it is hard to throw in your allegiance with, with people that don't have your back. And I understand that these are the same people I've taken a debate stage before where somebody said, this guy can't have an opinion because he's a man or because he's white or because whatever. And I understand what it's like to be dismissed and to feel wary of one side of the spectrum. But if you can find unity, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. did well. Find that unity. Shooting a jogger for no reason, literally no reason, is a great place where you can say, hey, I know you and I don't always see racial divide the same way, 
this one I'm with you on. I will stand with you on. And you'll lend yourself a lot of credibility for that next time that you have maybe that skepticism. Because uh, then those same sides will say, well, I know this guy doesn't always take the white person's side. We've been together before. We've stood together before. So I'm going to give him the time of day. You lend yourself so much credibility when you change it up and take your stance and take a nuanced stance and say, I'm going to stand with the right case this time and not just stay quiet when it's convenient. Like I said, don't become the Ben Shapiro where you say, I really love talking about trans issues, but when all of a sudden somebody beats a trans person to death, you hear the crickets chirp. You know, if you really feel one way, okay, fine. But, but where's your limit? You know, where is your line where you say, no, this is where I stand in solidarity. This is a human being. I care about that person and I'm not going to be quiet about it. I'm going to be loud and proud. And I'm going to stand with these people that say that shooting was wrong. That killing him was the wrong thing to do. That jumping out of your car with a loaded shotgun is wrong. That smearing someone's reputation in an accidental death when they're the victim is wrong. That calling the police because a black person is jogging in my neighborhood is wrong. And there are so many opportunities that you have to say that is wrong and I'm going to stand for what is right and I am going to, I am going to extend my voice and my platform to that, you know, and I think that that's important to do. As far as the LNC stuff, it's a cluster F. Uh, I, I honestly, I'm so glad I'm out of politics in general. I've, I've made an endorsement and I, I wish Vermin and Spike all the best. I, I, I really wish whoever the Libertarian candidate is all the best because I, like I said, we still have people that talk about that only know Gary Johnson and that only know Harry Brown and that only know, bar because these are the people who ran for president and Ron Paul and people, other people who ran for president. Right. And this is why we know them. So whoever wins, I still wish them all the best, but it's a mess in the LNC right now. And it is partly because of these weird bylaws, but it's more so because of the corrupt decay of personhood that is in there. Because like we, like we were talking about laws, they aren't any better or worse than the people who make them and enforce them. You know, they, they don't have personalities of their own and you can't make a bad person good through law. You can't make a good person bad through law. And so we have some inept people. We have some good people too. And people that I trust, which is why I talk about it at all, but we have a problem on the LNC and they've made some very poor decisions and they've done some very poor planning. And I think some of them even own it when they've been a part of the problem. And some of it are all too eager to kick it on to the other side. The bottom line is if you are working in the LP right now, first of all, hats off to you. I can't even imagine. But secondly, make sure that that is what is most important to you is not just saying, did we do the legal thing today? But to say, when you host your meetings, and you support whoever it is you support or nominate to say, was this a good person? Was this a person of strong moral character? Because right now you can see it on the LNC that that moral character not being there, no amount of bylaw is going to fix it. Uh, if you put somebody who's lacking in it. All right. And then uh, Reinhold, your final thoughts. Um, I don't want to go too long. Just want to say uh, I agree that the LNC is, uh, devolved into a complete uh, mess and um, 
I don't know what else to do other than to vote them all out and start over. But uh, I know that there's some people who announced that they're running for uh, LNC again. I hope we can do some LNC votes. Um, right now, the state chairs are urging the delegates not to vote for anybody but president and vice president and get it over with. Uh, and then leave all the other stuff to the um, uh, the physical convention, which is kind of convenient that the LNC is going to extend their um, reign, as it were, for several months. Um, if Trump had tried to do that, I think there might have been some kickback. Um, the just just kind of, I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to get into it and start reading the 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 uh, mailing list and watching what all these people are saying on the mailing list, which is probably about half of what they actually talk about to each other, but they're supposed to do it all on the mailing list. So there's a lot of um, snide comments and there have been for the last two years. And there are certain people who instigate it more than others. And we know who they are. That's not hard to find out. Um, but they make themselves known on that list. So if you want to go look and you want to see what's been going on in the party, you can read and see everything. It's there. Uh, we try to we strive for for openness and uh, visibility. So that's been the goal. So um, maybe maybe it's just the case that we don't get to see how the sausage is made in the RNC, you know, the RNC or the LNC, the DNC. So you know, maybe they're even worse. Who knows? But and I suspect they probably are. But we're supposed to be better. And we're supposed to be able to prove that this organizational system of non-governmental um, free organization of people can work. And right now we are proving the opposite. Um, and so it's either got to change or we're just going to just invalidate our whole point of existing in, the, in that all. So I hope somebody, you know, some leadership somehow pops in place and there are some shining, small, shining, bright stars in there that... I think have the capability to do that and are trying to do that. I just hope they prevail. I hope that it, it succeeds and we get the best uh, solution for the party that we can get our candidate, whoever it is we choose on all the ballots and gets backed by all the States. And none of the States start throwing their own little hissy fits and saying that they're going to put someone else on their ballots because they didn't like the way this was done or the way that was done. I just wish people would be more adult and realize what's best for the party, um, not necessarily what they think is best for their view of the party going forward. So that's all I had to say about that. And um, again, with with Arbery, that's unfortunately not the the first or the last time we've had somebody uh, shot by a, by uh, either a policeman or a post policeman or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I want to see it stopped. These are human lives. Uh, if you can't have some compassion for a human life being taken, um, I think maybe you're looking at the wrong things. So yeah. um, that's pretty much it for me. Sweet. Well, my dogs are starting to go crazy. Apparently something's going on in the background. So again, viewers, thank you again for tuning in. Tune in tomorrow. Reinhold, always a pleasure to speak with you, my friend. You too. It's been too long, man. Yeah. Uh, we More. will. Yeah, we'll be around. We'll be around. You know where to find us. We're Libertarians, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We love you today. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network, and you can find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. Shows like We Are Libertarians with Chris Spangle, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Now Hear This with Chris Spangle, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, 
and our training podcast, Upward, Libertarian Activism. All of these shows are supported by our patrons. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, visit wearelibertarians.com. Thank you so much for listening to this show.